<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You may be one of the 1.7 million people who follows Gary Vaynerchuk on Instagram or one of his 2 million Facebook followers. If you don't know who Gary is, he has a number of claims to fame. He is a best-selling author who is also an early investor in Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. He also runs a digital ad agency called VaynerMedia, and he says that company is going to generate about $125 million this year. In addition, he has a sports agency called Vayner Sports that reps athletes like Braxton Miller, and his ultimate goal is to buy the New York Jets. But before he did any of that, Gary spent his teenage years and his 20s helping his family run a wine shop in Springfield, New Jersey. And he grew that company from a few million in annual revenue to more than 60 million, thanks in large part to the internet. Having a website 21 years ago for a single store wine shop, liquor shop in New Jersey was like having a VR studio in a flower shop right now in Iowa. I've done really well on one core principle, which is I think I have intuitive ability to understand consumer behavior more than the average bear and I'm not scared to bet the farm on that gut feel. We spoke with Gary about everything from how to grow a business to how to become a superstar social media personality. He offered tons of advice, including why you should drop your quote unquote loser friends if you want to be successful and how to know if you're a fake entrepreneur. He also talks about how lonely it is at the top when you're running a business. So this is Success, How I Did It. It's a Business Insider podcast that explores the career paths of some of today's most accomplished people. I'm your host, MBI's U.S. Editor-in-Chief, Allison Chantel. Gary Vaynerchuk is with us today. He's a social media guru, a marketing master. He's actually one of the first ever YouTube stars. <laughs> and so you've turned a wine company that your your family started into... Uh, a business that was making, what, a couple million dollars a year into tens of millions of dollars a year. You're best-selling author. You run this little thing called Vayner Media, which is something like 100 million plus in revenue. Um, so a million different things going on. We're really happy to have you. Thanks for coming in, Gary. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, of course. So I want to talk all the way about going back. To the beginning? To the beginning, the childhood. Um, okay. You know, A lot of people think that you know, from the success that you've had, maybe you came from success, but your beginnings were pretty humble. You know, it's right? funny, if I was listening right now and didn't know the person, I actually think a lot of times that people that are successful made it. I'm actually one of the few people, or maybe the majority, I don't know. It's so funny, I actually think my kids are gonna have a harder time being successful than I was. I think being born in Belarus, coming here with nothing, my, my parents working every minute, um, that instilled a huge competitive advantage 
uh, a chip on my shoulder, a work ethic, uh, that I, you know, I think there's a very big reason that in the American meritocracy system, to the, you know, by comparison, uh, there's always stuff, but in capitalism, uh, or the version that we've lived through in the last 50 years in America, immigrants win a lot, um, and they win a lot because um, of a couple core things. So, yeah, I didn't start with a lot, you know. I have friends who started with a lot who've now built on top of it and I'm impressed because I used to think that was a disadvantage. So I think there's a million ways to do it. Uh, I like the narr- I like my dad's narrative the best. I mean, he was 22 when he came to America and had nothing. So that's a really amazing story. I'll take mine though. Um, and so baseball cards, lemonade. Yeah, you, you know, were doing a, all of those kind of things that, that kids try and do when they're actually entrepreneurial minded. So you had a series of lemonade stands, right? It yes. wasn't just one. <laughs> yes. Forget one, like let's make a franchise here. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know it was a franchise when you're <laughs> six. I just knew that there was a lot of kids in my neighborhood and I thought Marissa Bird and Eric Godfrey and Robbie Turnick should put in a good days of work. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I've, I've always had the knack for and, and, and actually, what I was about to say, I've always had a knack for branding. So like, even with the lemonade stands, it was like Gary's lemonade stands. And I worked on the signs all day, more so than the lemonade itself. Uh, and then I learned you had to make good lemonade to build an actual business, so that taught me lifetime value and quality. Like, I learned a lot as a kid. I was a very poor student, which was really unusual for immigrants. Um, but I didn't see education as my way out. I knew that I had it, and that, originally started as I'm a good salesman and then it was I'm a good businessman and then it was I'm a good operator and now the current term is I'm a good entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, it's it's a DNA thing with me. So you watched your parents build this business from scratch, right? Yes. Like you said, your dad came here when he was 22 and then he built up a, a wine and mm-hmm. liquor shop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did... Uh, and and from what I read, also you all shared a studio in Queens. It's like eight of you in a studio yeah. and packed house. Packed house. My dad, you know, first was a stock boy, then was a manager, then saved all. You know, an amazing piece of advice for a lot of kids, fifty-year-olds, um, whoever's listening right now, is like saving money is a good strategy. Like we didn't have, like I didn't have stuff, but it was because my parents were saving. They were saving. They were saving, and my mom spent we didn't get toys, like go outside and like paint a rock, right? It was like very, very smart because after seven or eight years, he was able to buy uh, a liquor store of his own in Springfield, New Jersey, Shoppers Discount Liquors. He built up a great business, three to four million dollar a year business, like made it, right? Like literally made it. Middle class, upper middle class, made it. We didn't ever need anything. They didn't spend a lot, they're big savers, but we made it and then I got dragged into it at 14, you know, oldest son. I'm one of three. I was the oldest son. 14, can you even be in a liquor store? Yeah, because nobody was really checking. But, (laughs) you know, good question. That's probably not. 16, you could get a permit. But I was in there at 14. That's probably why they put me in the basement, bagging ice, stocking shelves. And um, somewhere around 16, 17, I realized that people collected wine. And that caught my attention because I was deep into baseball cards and comic books at that point. And, um, And I really, really enjoyed learning the wine world and really became fascinated by it. And that all manifested a couple years later to me launching in 1996 uh, a site called winelibrary.com. We rebranded the store to Wine Library and uh, and that started my first chapter, right? It, it, we grew the business from a three to four million dollar a year business to a, initially a 45, then a 60 million dollar a year business in a very short period of time. On the back of what I love reading your stuff, about which is business innovation, you know, email marketing, having a website 21 years ago 
for a liquor, single store wine shop, liquor shop in New Jersey was like having a VR studio in a flower shop right now in Iowa. And how did you, how did you know to do that? I went on the internet you know, in 94 and in four seconds landed on AOL bulletin board where people sold baseball cards and I just knew. The same way I knew that Twitter would be big and that's why I invested or Tumblr or Facebook or Uber or you know, I've done Snapchat, I've done really well on one core principle which is I think I have intuitive ability to understand consumer behavior more than the average bear and I'm not scared to bet the farm on that gut feel, right? And so um, even online dating, I met my wife on J-Date, right? Wow. In 2003. But I just remember thinking like in 10 years, every single person, I didn't think they'd be swiping to the right, but like I'm like every person's gonna do this because this is practical. And so people are romantic. People are like, well I'll never buy a tomato on the internet. This is what I heard in 96. I'm like, yeah you will, because time is valuable, because other things matter more. And so uh, I knew because I thought people would buy stuff on the internet long before a lot of people thought. So that's still 10 years before you really became known for yes. your YouTube videos. That's and right. that's where I think a lot of people assume that your career kind of started. But you were working behind the scenes for 10 years building up this internet business. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that when people try to take a raz at me as like a self-promoter, uh, and I'm very empathetic to that because I do so much around my personal brand, um, I'm empathetic, but if they even spend four seconds digging and realizing I didn't say a word until I was in my mid-30s and had already built an enormously large business, at least not not by tech standards, but no cash infusion, 10% gross profit, liquor store in the mid-90s to grow to that scale was very hard, right? VaynerMedia has been fun for me. I would tell you secretly, and I haven't said this a lot, I'm trying to give you a nugget for your podcast, I needed to build VaynerMedia for myself because I was starting to become Gary Vee, to your point. The wine videos kind of put me on the map. I write a book in 2009 called Crush It, which gets me into the, you're a motivational speaker, you're a pundit, you're a, and it started becoming about my personality and me on Twitter more than my business accomplishments. So I needed Vayner. I needed to build an agency against the biggest firms on Madison Avenue and I needed this big success, even to just remind myself that I'm entrepreneur and operator and actual businessman first. I'm not what I think there's a lot of right now, which is a lot of people running around and saying they're an entrepreneur on Instagram. Um, I'm proud of that. You know, like I look at something that is upsetting to me. When I see Yik Yak sell for $4 million, you know, I feel bad for the guys. And it used to be worth 400 million. Correct. But I don't feel bad because that's, entrepreneurship, that's business. And I think a lot of people are getting confused right now of what success actually looks like. Only a very few will break through and actually sell their business, actually go public, actually make it. So what did you do in your 20s to set you up for success to really strike in your 30s? I worked my face off and I learned my craft. Like how many hours, like how? All of them. 24, no sleep. Like, you know, I slept but like, I worked every, I'll give you a good example. There's not a lot of 20 year olds who can say they worked every single Saturday of their entire 20s, period. I did. I worked 50 to 52 Saturdays a year from 22 to 29 until I met my wife and started having to like build some level of work-life balance. That's hard work. And what did you do on those Saturdays? I got to Wine Library at 7.30 in the morning and I left at seven, eight, or nine. I just worked. I just, 
built a management staff, I just tasted wine, I just uh, built up the website, learned how to do Google AdWords, um, you know, I just worked. And I, when I tell you worked, like, just, I was, um, I am and was a workaholic and, and, I, and, and, and I didn't say a word, right? Like, I didn't do podcasts, I didn't, you know, there wasn't social media, but there was. I didn't start a MySpace page to say, look at me, look what I'm doing. I had the outlets. I built my craft. I ran a business. I was a merchant, right? And I was training up my people and I was training training Brandon Warnicky to be able to replace me if I quote unquote got hit by a bus. Um, and I was watching trends and I and that's what led me to YouTube. I'm like, this is gonna be big. But wait a minute, I can't buy ads on this like I can on AdRoll or on Google. You know, what do I do with this? Should I should I get a camera and just talk about wine? That sounds like not a bad idea. I mean, content's important, but I, I didn't even call it content, right? I didn't even like, this world didn't exist that we all live in now. I'm like, but I thought about Emeril Lagasse when I did it, like I thought about that. So I just started reviewing wine that did take off, as you mentioned. And was it quickly that you got a following? No, the first year, you know, I started on February 20th, 2006. In July of 2007, a year and a half later, the break happened. It was still quite small, but I got invited to be on the Conan O'Brien show. Everybody, and I mean everybody, wrote about me being on Conan. Cause it was like, like YouTube person on Conan? And then the clip was awesome. I got him to eat dirt and grass. It went viral on YouTube. And that pretty much, that took me from being a top 500 followed person on, on Twitter to a top, 50 person followed on Twitter, then Kevin Rose asked me to be on Dignation, then you know I was on the Today Show and Ellen, and, and then it started rolling. Wow, and so what was it that Conan saw in you that made him invite you on a show, like a wine guy, YouTuber? Uh, nothing, he saw nothing, he had no idea who it was. A producer of that show, cousin, was watching it, thought I was funny, and they have these pitch meetings, right? Where they're like, what should we do? And there's this weird guy on the internet who's like talking about wine in a very different way, they called me, I had always thought what would happen if that happened, so I had the idea of. You thought about what would happen if Conan called me? Not Conan, but I thought what if daytime TV or morning TV, yeah, of course. I mean, I already think about like what I'm gonna be doing with, on Alexa Voice and what am I gonna be doing on VR and, and how am I gonna use message bots and what's gonna happen when my kids are 18 and like when I buy the Jets, like who's gonna be my GM? Like I, I'm, you know, Is I- Is gonna be Ben Lair? <laughs> it's definitely not gonna be Ben Lair. I'm not even gonna let him in the stadium. <laughs> um, I, think, <laughs> I think that, you know, by the way, I, met, I referenced Ben earlier. Ben's dad was very successful and to watch how hard Ben has built Thrillist and mm -hmm. the Group 9 network, it's just very inspiring. It makes me hope that my children will have that fire even though it's not like he's a trillionaire but he had stuff no, yeah, way more than yeah, I did. Kenny Lair is the founder of Huffington Post. Right and, and so Ben matters to me a lot ironically that you brought him up because he, he shows me very closely because he's a friend of mine hey you can have stuff but still be on fire and do it and so he's, that's been fun for me. But anyway then YouTube sells. YouTube sells. To Google. I correct. For a billion dollars and it was like this massive deal right? at the time. Oh my God, it was 1.7 and just for everybody at home, if Musical.ly sells tomorrow to Viacom for $250 billion, that's what it felt like. It was such a big number. It was everything's huge. a billion now that he's a piece of crap. Right, everything's a unicorn. Right. Back, that was, remember? That was it was huge. insane. When Instagram sold, it was still huge and it was a billion dollars. Correct. So I said, holy crap. I was right about e-com, I was right about Google AdWords, I was right about email, I was right about retargeting banner ads, 
I'm right about blogging, now I'm right about YouTube, I've got something better than I can sell wine. The next time I feel it, the next time I feel it, I'm gonna invest. And that happened a couple months later at South by Southwest. And that's when you became a startup investor. Correct. And so what was your first investment? Twitter. So, that was, so you go from investing in nothing to Twitter. Right. And that's your first one. That's a pretty good track record. It gets better. The next thing I invested in was Tumblr and then Facebook. And you had nothing in between. Facebook? Facebook. How, okay, how did you find Facebook early? And like what year? It wasn't what that stage? early in my opinion. It was 2008, seven, late seven, early eight. I had made a video, one of my first business videos that was titled, Facebook should be worried about Twitter. And it was like, why am I starting to use Twitter more? And it wasn't like this big grand statement, it was one person's point of view. That goes viral inside of Facebook. Dave Morin sends me an email, who was the head of platform at the time, and goes, hey, this is like a lot of people were debating this video, would, are you ever, do you, would you ever come out to Palo Alto and, uh, and give a talk about it? I'm like, well, I'm going to Palo Alto next week, which I wasn't, and uh, I gave a talk about consumer behavior and I, I didn't even know, but Mark was in the audience. He came down. He's like, you wanna have dinner tonight? I'm like, yep. I had a flight, yeah, by I the do. way, I had a flight that night. I clearly canceled that. We hit it off, and, and in 2008, a lot of times when he came into New York, he would hit me up, and we got to know each other, and then somewhere in that year, uh, Mark and Randy emailed me, and they're like, our parents are selling a bunch of Facebook stock. Do you wanna buy it? And I said, yep. Wow. So that was big for me. That was life-changing. Uh, life-changing. Uh, so what is dinner investment. like with Mark Zuckerberg? So I'm built on emotional intelligence. I'm not the smartest. I just know what people are gonna do. So he's a tech kid and an engineer and a Harvard kid. So I go in thinking he's that. I leave that dinner. I'm like, fuck. This kid absolutely gets human behavior. So that's when I knew, binarily, that he was gonna win. Because I'm like, wow, he's got both. He knows how to build it. Like, I can't build stuff. I'm not an engineer, that's not what I'm into. I'm like, but he understands what I understand. That was it. I mean, I was just bought into him from day one. He's super smart. Listen, we're a funny match in the 10 or 15 times we've interacted because I only want to talk and he only wants to listen. That's why he'll probably end up with a hell of a lot more money and be successful, but he's, he's extremely bright. I like him a lot. I think he's kind, but most of all, he just understands people. And that's weird because people look at him as like, introverted and quirky and all that, but I don't see it and I never saw it. And obviously he's more media trained and grown into himself. So I can't speak to how he rolls now because I haven't spent time with him, but I can definitely tell you there was no confusion from, uh, from, that, uh, from those initial meetings for me, and I mean none. So fast forward, you then invested in Snapchat down the mm -hmm. road, right? Which I is now, I guess, Facebook's arch nemesis. So how did you find Snapchat? I mean, it's one thing to find and spot something, but another for a founder to let you in. I should have invested earlier. I was way on it before I actually invested. Um, I, uh, but I don't like reaching out. I never reach, I still, I have not spent a day with Evan. I've spent a ton of time with Emily White, who was originally his right hand, and then Imran, and you know, I was bringing a lot of value, and they're like, hey, would you like to invest? And I said, yes. So let's talk about creating VaynerMedia. Okay. That's your, your That's my thing. thing that you're in now. Yes. Um, and you and your brother did this yes. in 2009. Yes. It's now, is it really 100 million in annual revenue? Yeah, we'll do over 125 this year. And where does that all come from? That comes from clients like uh, Chase and Budweiser and GE and Toyota and Quaker Oats and and Amazon Prime in the UK paying us for either spending their media and giving us a commission, making video productions to distribute on the social and digital web, or managing their 
social and digital properties and producing non-video content or consulting for them um, on so their sort strategies. Of a, like a social media agency of sorts? We're a modern day ad agency. We're mad, you know, we're no really different than Droga5 or AKQA. The only difference is we do everything and most don't because I'm building it for myself. I don't want to sell it to a holding company. Um, we've started doing small business. I come from that world. So, I mean, small business, it's $25,000 a month, so you gotta be doing millions in revenue. But yeah, we're just building client service business. It's nothing sexy. It's not like I invented anything. The only difference is I'm really good at marketing. Yeah, so explain how you start. So uh, just sum up what VaynerMedia is because there are a ton of moving parts. And then like, how did you start? In 2009, ESPN sent me an email and said, can you come to our office and talk to us about Twitter? Why do you, Gary B, have more followers than all of the Disney properties combined? And I'm like- How many followers do you have these days? These days I have 1.4 on Twitter, 1.7 on Instagram, 2 million on Facebook. So at the time I had like 700,000, which was like, <laughs> like, like insanity. Uh, I go, okay. I replied, you know, I was sitting in my inbox because I was busy. By the time I came back to it that night, they had already emailed the second time, like, we'll pay you $5,000. Like, it was really cool, and I was really excited. And we had this conversation, and I get out of the office, and my brother calls me. Now, my brother is now a senior at BU, and it's like February, and he's graduating in May, and we're like kind of under the gun because we promised ourselves we're gonna start a business together. And we're thinking fantasy sports because we think it's gonna be big. And we're trying to figure it out. And I call him, I go, maybe, you know how I talk about maybe one day buying businesses? I'm like, instead of doing that cold, maybe we should start a consulting firm is what I said. Learn about corporate America, make some money, and then decide what to do. And that's what we decided to do. I got another email from Gillette, the razor company, to like do some sort of like idea session. And so we just started. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we hired four or five of AJ's friends from college and high school. And we literally started reaching out to people. I started using my network. And the first two years, what happened, a couple months later, Crush It came out. And that's when Gary Vee kind of was born. And that's your first book. That's my first book. And it went real viral. And you did a 10-book book deal, right? I did. Now, what was not reported in there was if my first book sold enough copies to pay for the entire 10-book advance, I would become a free agent, which is what happened. I wrote that book. It went very viral. And then I started getting offered... $25,000 to give a speech and that was so hard to say no to at the time in my life. And why did you say no? I didn't, which meant I wasn't involved in Vayner that much the first two years. I got us the clients, I would check in, but it was really AJ and our band of 20 young characters in the beginning and the first two years show that I think we were doing like $2 million in revenue. In August of 11, I decided to take over full time because I was stunned that two years later, nobody was doing what I wanted to do two years earlier and I'd realized, oh my God, corporate America's slow. And so I attacked. I saw an opening and I attacked and so we, uh, we I got serious and from 2011, August 2011, which really means 2012 because I was cleaning up and hiring, uh, in the last five years, we've gone from 25 to 750 employees from three to 125 million in revenue, um, and now we're a real player as an agency. So when you're building a brand, yes. what are the most important things that you need to know? Uh, there's a lot of things. I would say the most important things are a couple things. First of all, you have to know who you are, what you are, what you stand for, but that is subjective, and that's cliche marketing bullshit jargon, but it does matter, it helps. Um, you have to know who you're targeting. Like, you know, I think too many people fight the market. There's certain people that are never gonna want your stuff. 
Like, no matter what you do, there's certain people because of, are never gonna love me because I curse and I have bravado and I'm a Jersey boy and I'm brash and they won't take the time to see the humility and the patience and the truth, right? And they shouldn't. Who am I to actually make them have to take that time? So brands have to be honest with themselves and know who's gonna buy their stuff and who's not. And most importantly, they need to market in the year that they actually live in. We have brands spending ungodly amounts of money on print, television, outdoor, radio, programmatic banner ads, uh, just website takeovers like garbage. And when I say garbage, they work-ish, they're just so overpriced. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I do not believe that it is worth the hundreds of thousands of dollars in distribution and hundreds of thousands of dollars in cost to make one 30 second video to tell a 29 year old woman that your soap is great in a world where she is not going to consume that commercial. Like, I do not think it's great to spend millions of dollars on banner ads across the desktop internet on the right side below the fold of tons of websites that nobody's ever gonna pay attention to that banner ad because the CPM cost is low. So one thing that you're doing at Vayner that's interesting is you're kind of merging um, content and brands. And in the journalism world, you know, people start screaming. There is news, I think, that BuzzFeed is launching a team of people that are going to start like uh, sending you things that you should want to buy. And right. there were people in the journalism community being like, oh, my God, that's like good thing they work for a forward-thinking publisher because you know, like New York Times would never do something like that. New York Times does it. New York Times right. has a wine club in their newspaper during the dining in section, all that is is romance and highbrow uh, snobbery. The New York Times sells wine. The New York Times is a competitor of my family wine business. I don't know what to say. They do. So like, I laugh when I I had like I have a lot of friends that work at the Times because I'm a fan. I'm just it was so fun to make fun of them. They're like you believe that they're the same, right? They're clad, you know. I'm like, of course I believe it. You've been doing it, and like. <gasps> I'm like, where are you? Uh, so yeah, I, yes I have. I, I've, I've started something called The Gallery, which is, so VaynerMedia is what I've been running. I've created a holding company called VaynerX. VaynerMedia sits on the left. On the right side is something called The Gallery. Uh, our first purchase was a company called PureWow. Uh, it's in that Pop Sugar Refinery29 female uh, space. I had become increasingly aware that Vice and BuzzFeed and, and Vox were building creative shops and felt like they were true competitors because they had better digital DNA than, let's say, the agencies on Madison Avenue. And I thought, look, I can sit here and watch that happen or I can do the reverse. And uh, in my great dream of building the greatest communications and marketing machine, uh, publishing will be part of it. And I never worried about like, the conflicts and things of that nature because every everybody's doing it. New York Times is doing it. You know, every publisher's Conde and her like so that was easy. It just that an agency hadn't done bought a publisher because most of them can't afford it. Um, and most of them don't have the to be very frank, the ambition I have. Like, you know, when you want to buy the New York Jets, you have to do big things and So how close are you to buying the Jets? Far. The Jets are probably two point seven, two point eight billion dollars. I'm nowhere close to that. Um, a few more Facebook investments. I do, um, uh, but the good news is I don't want to buy the Jets tomorrow. I love the journey of being an entrepreneur more than I like of the idea of buying the Jets. And so, and the good news is Woody Johnson's healthy and 
young and not looking to sell. So we'll see how it plays out and if the booby prize is uh, the Dallas Mavericks, well, I, no, actually, Cuban's too young. If the booby prize is the Milwaukee Brewers, we'll see and maybe it'll be something altogether different but all I can focus on is trying to build the business uh, around giving me those kind of opportunities in the future. A couple of wrap-up questions yes. because you give these big advice videos yes. um, and they're on these big topics that everybody thinks about when they go through running a business. Let's do it. So first one, um, dropping a loser friend. You've done a this video a, on this. Wow, I can't believe you went there. This is a tough one. How do you get rid of friends who are useless to you? Or it's like, not, what, you know, that's, what, that you know what's funny? It's not useless, right? The, the, this has been the one that I've been very hot on talking about in the world, but I've been scared of. Because even when you just said that, I'm like, ah, this guy's <laughs> terrible. It's a good provocative headline. It is. I think that people are keeping very negative people around them. And if they aspire to change their situation, it's imperative to audit the seven to 10 people that are around you. And the reason I go after a friend or a parent, I mean, in the details of that headline, I've said, hey, you may have to audit your mom. And not that I want you to never talk to your mom again, but you may wanna take a step back. And I've done this for friends and acquaintances and it's a very painful, eye-opening experience to realize, wait a minute, my dad actually doesn't want me to be successful because he's not happy and you know whether you call it misery loves company and and it's not like parents are bad people it's a it's a human trait it's just a thing maybe if you got rid of one friend or spent a lot less time with one friend who's a real drag and a negative force and added a positive person in your office as somebody you now if you switched it from 80 days hanging out with your negative friend and one day with your office acquaintance who's super positive to four days with your negative friend and 12 with this new person, not only do I believe I've physically watched me mentor people in my organizations to a totally different life on that thesis. All right, that makes sense. So it's basically the company you keep and if it's positive company, you think you'll be more successful. I think that's right. Okay, and another topic you talk about is being lonely at the top. How do you solve for that? What advice do you have for people who are going through that? You don't solve for it, because it's the truth. When you're the CEO, uh, it's on you. It's Sally's fault. It's Rick's fault. Like, like everything that's wrong at Vayner is my fault. So here's what I would say. 80% of you who are listening are actually not entrepreneurs. You think you are. You're doing it because it's hot. And what you really are is a great number three, a great number seven, and that's why I'm scared. Because you're not actually built for eating shit and being in fire all day long. You're gonna be more depressed, it's even harder, and I think it's time we talk about entrepreneurship in a real way, because there's a lot more underlining suicide and depression in our tech, startup, entrepreneurial world, and I think we're in a vortex of fake entrepreneurship that's gonna lead to a lot of pain. So I wanna talk about the loneliness, because it is hard. I've had a shit week, Allison. Like, honestly, there's been a lot going on. Clients, internal stuff. It's not fun. But it's my calling. Like, I don't even know anything else. So how do you deal with it? Do you, like, what, do you I meditate? Put, I, do you, like... I put it in perspective. And honestly, I love it. But I love shit. I love the pain. I love the process. I'm just watching kids I invested in not. And really struggle. And, like go to Coachella and skiing every weekend to deal with it, which then means they're not putting in the real work to the business and it just, you know? And they would have killed it as number nine at Instagram. They would have made a fortune. They would have crushed it as number 11 at Purple Mattress or Casper. They would have dominated as number 29 at Business Insider. But everybody thinks they're a goddamn founder now. Right. 
No, it's totally true. Um, so I guess the last one that I would ask you is, you're clearly a confident person. You don't <laughs> mind speaking your mind. You're assertive. How much of success do you think requires that? I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I think it's the one we see. I think the opposite version of me is the one we don't see, which is there are tens of thousands of outrageously successful businesses of very quiet, very calculated, calm executors who are confident. You can't be successful without being confident. They believe in themselves. But I would, you know, they have their own version of assertiveness. I think confidence matters. And I think, and I think other things matter. Like, I would tell you empathy is probably why I'm more successful than confidence. I'm empathetic to the customer, to my business partners, to my employees. So, you know, in all of your businesses, I feel like rule number one of running a business is focus. You're doing like 10 different things. People think I am. Let's talk about it. Yeah, because I mean, you have your sports agency business. Which, which You've got let's talk about it. Your media which, business. Let's talk about it. Let, let's go through it because I think it will help and it'll help other entrepreneurs. I think I'm good at making it look like that. So one thing, by having a vlog and it shows all this stuff, it feels like a lot's going on. But for example, 80% of my public speaking is only accepted if I believe there's business development for VaynerMedia. So instead of doing RFPs like Ogilvy, I go to CMO conferences, speak real truths, and get a client without spending four and a half months courting them. That's smart. That's VaynerMedia CEO. Vayner Sports. AJ and team are running it. I am, just like I was for VaynerMedia, the guy that gets Braxton Miller. So yes, do I have to fly to Houston and close it? Sure. How did you do that? Uh, we hired somebody who went to Ohio State that had a relationship. We just started talking, getting to know each other, and over the course of nine months, you know, we are going to build a very disruptive sports agency. We're gonna make more money off the field for these athletes than anybody has ever done because we'll do a lot of small deals. We're gonna hustle. We're not just gonna rely on Puma, Reebok, Nike, Under Armour, and Panini sports cards. So it's gonna come to us in waves, but that's how, just personal relationships. Um, there's VaynerMedia, which is 90% of my time. You know, I've really calmed down on my investing because I think there's a lot of fake entrepreneurship. So I've been, I'm see, Phil Toronto is running point for me and is looking at a lot of stuff, but we're looking at, I'm looking at very little stuff. Don't forget, I'm also working 15 to 18 hours a day, which means if you really think of somebody's eight hour day and you think about 40 hours and then you think about lunch and breakfast and dinner, which I do none of during my actual day, and then you think about. You don't eat? Nope. And then you think. What do you of, do? I eat at night. Just at night. Yep. Do you get what? Yes. Do you get hungry? I could never do that. Nope. Like, where's my bagel? Nope. This, is, this okay, is the part where AJ jumps in and says, "Gary's actually a robot." That's why this is all happening. <laughs> Definitely don't do you watch sleep? it. Sleep? Are you one of yeah. those four-hour nope. sleepers? Nope. I'm, I'm all in on Ariana Huffington. Like, give me six or seven. Give me twelve to six every day. Then I work out and then I work. And so you know, we're, uh, weekends and seven weeks vacation with my family. Extremism on my work-life balance. Um, so I'm getting a lot done. Great. All right. Well, that's something to aspire to. I mean, it's something to aspire to if it makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Like, if it if it's not to aspire to to make money, I tell I can tell you that right now. You can make ungodly amounts of money working nine to five and not eight to two at Wall Street. Like, it's not about the money. It's about the thing to aspire to that I think I'm a blueprint of. Forget about people knowing who I am or how much or little money I make in my life. I'm happy every day. Great. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Success How I Did It. For more episodes, subscribe on Acast or iTunes. You can also check out more interviews that we've done with the founders of Tinder, Bleacher Report, Warby Parker, and more.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.